All right. Um, well, we are in Titus, Lesson 11. <clears throat> We're going to pick up with Question 7 today, and that's Titus Chapter 3, Verses 1 through 5. Uh, I'll read that if you want to read along with me. Titus 3, 1 through 5. Let's read Titus 3, 1 through 5. Remind them. So remember, we, we talked about uh, Titus needing to remind believers. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. So those are the two verses that we've covered up until this point in the study. Today's verses start with verse 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. <clears throat> Excuse me. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which he had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So those are some pretty packed three verses there, verse 3 through verse 5. And there's a transition. We're going to start to look at that. But the first question, question number 7, says, list the behaviors of men before salvation. So if we were to look at verse 3, what what are some of the behaviors that we pick out there? So we got foolish, right? Let's look at them together. Yeah. yeah. Disobedient. Disobedient. You can pretty much read the verse, right? It's yeah, deceived. <laughs> deceived, enslaved. So let's take a look at these. So when we think about this list of, of, of attitudes or behaviors before salvation, these are, this is the pre salvation life. Do you recognize it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This was us too, right? So we're going to use the word they, but we're also talking about our pre-salvation selves as well, our, our self uh, in, a, in the source of Adam, right? Uh, it says that they were once foolish. And what does foolish mean? Literally without understanding. Mm-hmm. So lack of intelligence, uh, one who does not govern his lusts or his desires uh, is, is, fits into this category of being foolish, so really, I think you could say uh, the word refers to a, a lack of spiritual perception. So we've got worldly foolishness, but in this case, the context is a lack of spiritual perception. You can't see spiritually. You're blind. You're mm-hmm. foolish. In Luke twenty four twenty five, Jesus says to the disciples, Oh, foolish men and slow of heart. Those go together. To Slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So even Jesus was calling men out for their foolishness, their lack of spiritual perception and their slowness of heart to understand. And in Galatians 3.1, you know, the, the Galatians get called foolish as well. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? So you've got the condition of Christian, Christians being foolish because they're, in, they're, they're stuck in legalism. So there's really both the foolishness of the unbeliever, and then you can have the foolishness of the believer as well. But in this case, it's talking about the pre-salvation life. Does that make sense so far? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So First Timothy 6, 9, 
indicates that it is the true it is true of the believer whose overwhelming desire is to gain material wealth wealth excuse me so in first timothy 6 9 we see foolishness attached to a desire to gain wealth right you're you're looking for material things i think today's hungry heart had to do with some of that so their past life it's further described by the next word what's the next word we've got foolish um, and then we've got disobedient so this past life uh, is further described by the word disobedient what does disobedient mean what does the foolish mind lead to disobedience um, yeah so it's the opposite of obedience. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's going, a, going against the standard. Okay. And what's the standard? It's the Lord Jesus himself, right? Right. Mm-hmm. He is the standard. So we were unwilling to be persuaded. And in, in doing so, we were unbelieving. And because we were unbelieving, we were disobedient. We're commanded to believe. And by not believing... You're being disobedient. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the foolish mind engages in disobedience. And this is just a willful disregard for divine authority altogether. Right. We move on to the next word. So we've got foolish, disobedient. Now we've got deceived. Um, You know, this is kind of that idea of straying off the course, being led astray. You know, it's... um, it's like Nemo. If you've ever watched Nemo, he sees the, the big fish, you know, with the glowing light, and he just starts, oh, and he starts following the glowing light, uh, if you remember that part of the movie. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so being deceived, to cause to wonder, to be led astray, um, to follow false guides, not just to be led astray, but to follow the false light, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like Nemo did. <clears throat> So foolishness, disobedient, deceived, and then it talks uh, about yeah. Jim. Yep. Can I just add um, the Living Translation, which I have open here as well? It says, "And we were misled by others." Yeah, that's a so, the way same idea. Yep, misled by others. Mm-hmm. And those are false guides, right? They're right. They're in mm-hmm. the in the wrong directions. And then as a result of that, you get enslaved to various mm-hmm. kinds of lusts and pleasures. So let's talk about those two words. You could also say desires um, as opposed to lusts, but some translations would say that. So the various desires and pleasures, those are the false guides that we used to follow, right? And, you know, a desire is a, it's strong. It's a longing for something. Um, and in this case, it is a longing for what the sin nature desires. And it's a pleasure that only pleasures the sin nature. Um, So pleasures is to gratification, enjoyment. I want what I want. It makes me happy, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever that thing is. And so we're enslaved to these things, you know. And they're evil and wicked. And they're evil and wicked. That's the nature. That's right. Because they're grounded in the source. And that is the edemic source where the sin nature resides. So it can only be evil. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So moving into the word uh, spending our, or moving into the next portion, it says 
enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, and then spending our life in malice and envy. So malice, the wickedness, evil, that's what you were just talking about, Ruth. Um, the evil habit of the mind. And that envy is that jealousy, that desire to to have what you don't have, right? It's an attitude of self-centered life. And because you're self-centered, because you're you're completely operating in the sin nature, um, hatred flows from that life. You start to hate. You form a life of disappointed hopes, right? The word hatred is to shudder with horror, to hate, to think of things detestable, right? And that's how the unbeliever or the one operating by the sin nature feels towards God. The sin nature hates God. It hates the things of God. So there's a bitterness here that that the this this person um, that we're that uh, Paul's describing uh, to Titus to remind them about is that this this whole life leads to to bitterness and disappointed expectations. It's hopeless, right? And Paul includes himself in this verse. Right? He includes himself. They. The word they is mentioned there. Um, Paul in, included himself. He had been foolish, not sensible, disobedient, not submissive, deceived, not enlightened, and enslaved, not free and self, and self, not free and self-disciplined. So that was the life that both Paul and Titus came from. And that was our life. We've just described our pre-salvation life in these verses. And it goes on. I mean, they had also been malicious, not peaceable, envious, not considerate and hateful, not loving. And so this was the this was the life of the Cretan in Titus's world at that time. And this was our life before salvation as well. And it's the life of every unbeliever. But you get to this question number eight and all of a sudden things transition. So it says question number eight in our study. What contrast does the word but introduce? So in verse three, we just went through those. Verse four says, but when the kindness of God, our savior and his love for mankind appeared and we'll go on from there. But the word but is a, is a, an important word. Why? The transition word. It's a transition word. Yeah. You're moving from one thing. You're comparing. So comparing the unsaved life versus the saved life. Yep, exactly. And we see this in Paul's writings throughout <clears throat> in Romans 6, uh, 6, 17. I'm just going to read these out. So follow along with me. Romans 6, 17, 17 says, but thanks be to God that through though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient. Mm-hmm. So there's that transition from the edemic life to the uh to the life in in Adam, to the life in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. uh, This is a really, this this mirrors the same kind of, it uses different words, but it mirrors the life even further. So verse 9 says, "Or, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. So we see, there's that word, deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, uh, nor um 
nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So you see the transition of the two lives again. Colossians 1, 21 through 22, pretty small one here, or short one. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deed, but he has now reconciled you in his fleshly blood through death. It goes on. So I I want to just kind of talk about, we, we just finished in our Monday night uh, men's Bible study, the study on the ground of growth. And this transition of life is what that entire book is really all about. So you have the ground of the first Adam, you know, and this is the pre-salvation life, the ground of the first. Remember, everything has to do with your history. Whose history do you have? So we started out with the history of the first Adam. And on that ground um, is that into which we were born and to which we grew it is there that the world, the flesh, and the devil would keep us in bondage. It is the ground of carnality, sin, and death, and it's off limits to the new creation in Christ. That's the ground of the first Adam. And then we have that but, right, is what we're studying here. But now you're on the ground of the last Adam. And the ground of the last Adam is that into which we have been reborn and are to abide. It is there that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would have us grow and mature. It is the ground of spirituality, righteousness, and life. This is the Father's one abiding place for the believer. Where do we abide? We abide on the ground of the last Adam. On the, right? So we have the comparison. You know, we're just kind of putting this into, uh, into different terms, but you see this clearly uh, in, the, in this verse. So uh, in the ground of growth, it says, as we take our rightful stand on the resurrection side of the cross, the resurrection side of the cross, setting our minds and hearts on the Lord Jesus via the word, the Holy Spirit will establish us in him above. So this is what Paul was wanting Titus to remind these believers on Crete, is that you were once here and by the grace of God, you're now here. That's where we're headed in this verse. And we know from Second Peter 3.18 that on the ground of growth, we will grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what, we, that's what happens with that transition. And that transition is from the ground of the first Adam to the ground of the last Adam. And that's where we grow in the grace and the knowledge. No other ground will we grow. So how long does this kind of transition take? How long did you think these guys in... Uh, and Crete took to, to 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 understand this this change. How long did it take you, or is it taking you? A lifetime. A lifetime. Depends on when you come to the Lord, but um, then your growth in Christ takes the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Abide Above this morning said that it takes years of processing uh, to separate Romans 3 from Colossians 3 in our experience. Years of processing. 
to separate Romans 3. And what is Romans 3? For all of sin and fallen short. Right? And and the whole chapter has to do um, with the state of the unbeliever, right? Especially as it quotes the book of Psalms there and goes through that. And, And then Colossians 3, set your mind on things above, right? Everything is the ground of resurrection. But it takes years, just like it would have taken years for those uh, believers in Crete uh, that Titus was talking to, and even Titus himself. Um, that is a process that takes years. But that's the growth. That's what it means to grow and to <clears throat> to become more acquainted with, with the truths of who you are in Christ. So this word but has a, a big impact, uh, not only for those there in Crete, but also for ourselves. Let's look at uh, question number nine. It says, what two aspects of the nature of God are manifested in verse three in regards to the incarnation? Let's read. Somebody read verse three all the way through. Titus three, three. Okay, I will. For we also once were foolish ourselves disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. In verse 4, please. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. Okay, stop there. So, thank you. Mm-hmm. I, I meant to say verse 4, not verse 3 there initially. But oh. <laughs> so there's two things that, that come um, come. Two, two key words after but in verse four. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind. So you got kindness and love. And it all has to do with his incarnation because it has to do with his appearing. So when he appeared, the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind were present. Right? They were revealed, appeared. <clears throat> So the incarnation, what does the incarnation mean? Or what does the word incarnation mean? Well, when God became a man. Right. When God took on, right, took on flesh. So the incarnation of Jesus manifested two different aspects of the nature of God. His kindness and his love for mankind. So the fact that Jesus walked this earth was a clear revelation of God's kindness and his love for man. Just his presence was was wrapped up in his kindness and his love for mankind. His kindness carries the idea of generosity and points to God's desire to forgive sin. He was kind to us. Remember, he's kind to what kind of people? The people that are in verse verse 3, that are described in verse 3. That's where his kindness is pointed. All un- unbelievers. Unbelievers. That's right. His kindness is is pointed uh, towards the idea of his generosity and his desire to forgive sin. If he did not have that kind of kindness, there would be no hope for us. Right. Only because he was kind to us do we even understand that we can be led to repentance. And Romans 2, 4 says that. 
Romans 2, 4 says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? So without his kindness, we could never be led to change our mind about who he is. Are all, you know, you think about all of the different deities that are, that are represented in other religious systems. Um, Kindness is not what you would characterize many of those deities. You know, <laughs> they were uh, resent. They they had resentment and uh, jealousy and even anger. They acted in anger, or um, you know, yeah, you could go on and on around that. But remember that Christianity is not about what how we get to God, but how God came to us. You know, when we think of religion, religion is really God trying to get to man. But Christianity, in contrast, is about God coming to man, and he came in kindness. <clears throat> the word love for mankind, this is where we get our word. Uh, it, it, actually, in the Greek, it's uh, philanthropia. So you can probably gather where we get our word philanthropy from. Right, and this actually only occurs here in the new, uh, only here in the New Testament. This is the only place that this word appears in the New Testament, in in this exact way. In Titus three four, we have the philanthropy of God as a savior, which means His work in the salvation of man, His kindness towards man, His love for mankind. <laughs> And this is all based on the appearance that Paul referred to here, here <clears throat> was the sending of Jesus Christ, who is God, remember, incarnation, to die for us, right? So the appearance is, is, shows evidence of God's kindness and his love for mankind and ultimately his death on the cross um, shows the, the point of, of why he came as man. He had to die for man's sin, right? So this was the greatest revelation of God's kindness and love for humankind, that Christ died, ultimately. And he died as a man and God. So who took the initiative? And so God took the initiative, right? That's the God, that's the difference between religion and, and Christianity itself. God took the initiative. God does not save people because they behave righteously or on the basis of their deeds, but because he is merciful. All right? That's why he saves. I've got a whole slew of verses. I'll just I'll grab a couple here. Um, how about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's what this is talking about in, in Titus, the gift of God. That is the Lord Jesus incarnate himself. And then Ephesians, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Second Timothy one nine, <clears throat> Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. He took the initiative. 
which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. There's a lot of verses that talk about his love and his kindness for mankind and his appearing um, and um, and delivering man from the source of the first Adam to the source of the last Adam. And he did that because he loved us. Any questions? Thoughts? It's hard. It's hard to get your head around that. That he would. Um, think of me. When there's. This whole other world. I mean, the world. But he loved me. And sent his son for me. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I want to read something to you. Um, this is uh, from Dr. Uh, William Scroggy. Scroggy, I, I can't pronounce the word. Mike has corrected me before. It's Scroggy, I think. Right? Um, yeah, okay. Anyway, let me read this to you because this is this is the God that has an eternal purpose for you. This is a God who came to give you, Ruth, you, Russ, you, Cheryl, you, Brian, Connor, Ralph, all of you. This is describing the nature. He says, our, our understanding of nature and our interpretation of history are both partial and faulty. Yet, if we are Christians at all, we must believe that back of both is the divine thinker the infinite wisdom and the almighty power who is the son of God, our redeemer and life. This is a little bit long. Things have not been started and then left to run on their own material or moral momentum, but all things are under the constant control of the divine creator in whom all things have their center of unity, who appoints to everything its place, including you who determines the relation of things to one another and who combines all into an ordered whole so that it so that this universe is a cosmos and not a chaos mm. Mm. it is not law ultimately which rules this universe but our god but god our father and he rules it through his son our savior human history is not in the grip of fate but in the hands of him who was pierced for us on calvary mm. Mm. wow yeah. Thinking about a God with with those qualities that has concern for you in every single scenario, he, uh, Scroggy explained it as, or Scroggy rather explained it as, in whom all things have their center of unity, who appoints to everything its place, who determines the relation of things to one another, mm-hmm. Even the people in your life. The things that are unique to you, including your personality, all of that is organized and structured through the Lord Jesus himself, who was pierced for you on Calvary. I think Romans 8, 28 is probably appropriate since I just kind of took a little bit of a detour, but it, you know, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. He's causing the minute details to work together for good. Mm-hmm. in your life 
And he was doing the same thing for the believers in the time of, of, of Titus on Crete. Hmm. Let's look at question number 10. It says, describe salvation as it is stated in verse 5. Let's read verse 5 again. Cheryl, can you read 5 again? Yeah, let me give you Okay. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. All right. So the, the question is, describe salvation in that verse. What is regeneration? New life. <laughs> what kind of life? Perfect life. Perfect Christ life. life. Christ's life. Christ's life. Yeah. yeah, so regeneration, we get eternal life in him, Christ's life. Mm-hmm. Where he is, we are. Is he ruling on into eternity? Yes. Do you rule with him? Mm-hmm. Well, heirs, you have an inheritance in that life. So regeneration is critical. If we don't get a new life, we don't have a place in Christ, and we don't have eternity, eternity to look forward to in him. Right? And does washing regen- in of regeneration, is that like um, the new creation? Is that similar? Yep. Well, let's look at the word washing. In this case, it's not a, it's not a, a literal washing. What is it? It's a metaphor for what? For cleaning. Okay, cleansing. And who does that in the scripture? Where do you where do you see the the washing, or the? Um, it's the Holy Spirit. Okay. Yep. Right. In water baptism, you have a physical representation of what happened spiritually. What happened spiritually in baptism? Spiritually. Placed into death and then raised to new life. That's right. Yeah, so, the, <clears throat> you know, the word regeneration is tied in, into the word, how were you regenerated? Through the washing. And that's your spiritual baptism. Mm-hmm. Your, your entire being was washed, cleansed, regenerated. And that was the job of the the Holy Spirit. So regeneration, actually, this word um, is only uh, in one other place in the New Testament. This version of the word regeneration. <clears throat> Matthew nineteen twenty eight says, And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So, regeneration has a eternal perspective after. That washing, that regeneration has, like you all have, have just said, has a place in the Son of Man. That's where you've been placed. You've been given new life. Where were you before? You're in Adam, right? You're in the Son of Man, the last Adam. 
But this word is conveyed in other ways, being born again. We see that in John 3, 7. You know, made alive. We see that in Ephesians 2, 5. Um, made a new creature. That's in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And then even made the children of God. So anywhere where you get born again, made alive, new creature, like you said, Ruth, there. Mm-hmm. Children, talking about God as our father, uh, talking about ourselves being or being told that we are made children of God. These are all the concepts that tie into regeneration. And this is describing salvation here in, in verse 5 of Titus. <clears throat> And so, if you look at these verses, how many members of the Trinity do you see? All three. Mm-hmm. All three. Kindness of God, our Savior, who saved us, mm-hmm. His mercy, re- regeneration, and renewing by the Holy Spirit. What, are, what does the word renewing mean? Washing and regeneration, that produces new life, renewing. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, too. Becoming a new creature? Yep. Yeah, I think that both of those are are accurate there. Romans 12, 2 comes to mind, says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove that the will of what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Who does the renewing? Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And what is your role? Belief. Belief for salvation, yeah. certainly. But what about the temptation that comes as we walk out of this class today? Spiritual growth, growing in Christ. That's right. Your your mind is continually renewed mm-hmm. as you walk by faith. And that's reckoning on who you are in the last Adam, standing on the resurrection side of the cross, recognizing that God's word is true and we can behold him through it. Is it... Is it, um, I'm just thinking like day-to-day life, yeah. um, a renewing by the Holy Spirit. Is that uh, you walk out of Sunday school and um, somebody cuts you off on the road and you are tempted to get upset? Is that the Holy Spirit renewing your mind and setting it back on back on him and saying, no, you you don't need to do that and just let it go. And um, And I don't know. And and trust me that I've I've got this under under control. Right. Right. No, absolutely. I think that's the case. And I mean, as we look at. Romans 12, 2, it says that, but be transformed by the renewing. Mm-hmm. So that scenario that you just explained, Ruth, that that's that's the the need 
that that you have in order to be transformed and be renewed in your mind because you have the opportunity to there operate by the sin nature mm-hmm. or operate in your new nature. And the only way that you can do that is by beholding him and believing that what right. he said is true. I've got this under control. You know, that person in that other car, I've got them under control too. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that? Do you believe that I'm working all things out together for good? Do you believe that? Mm-hmm. And there, there's renewing there. Absolutely. And we talked about going from Romans 3 to Colossians 3 as a as a unbeliever to a believer takes years of renewing. That's where the, what is God doing in the life of the believer? Well, that's one of them. Well, and I think too, the, um, yeah, okay. Um, God is in control, but it, in each circumstance, God shows his character and, you know, um, so, God um, protected me from that car that cut me off. Um, he um, he helped me not to get upset. Whatever it, it's it's more than just um, just his sovereignty all the time. It's it's all his parts. <laughs> Yeah. Or all his character yep. that is playing into the situation that yeah, no, renews us. Yep. And it's those trials that we see, we think it's an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. The Lord is using that to show how our sin nature behaves. Um, he wants to reveal you know, the sin nature that you're trusting in so that you can recognize who he is and what he's done on your behalf. And you have to learn a lot about that old man. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes you do get bad and you say something and, you know, in that need, you may have failed at the moment, but it may have brought you to a place of, wow, I just realized what the old man's capable of now. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's new, sometimes it's habitual, but those needs and those trials are all designed and, and used by God to, teach you to behold him and therefore be renewed in your mind. So, all right, well, we're at time. Um, thanks for participating this morning. It was a fun, fun to be able to talk to some of you and uh, work through this together. So next week, Mike will pick up with uh, lesson 12 uh, and we'll all be hopefully back in, in class and things like that. So let me pray and we'll break for the day. Father, how we thank you. Um, that uh, you came to us and that through the incarnation you revealed yourself. And um, Lord, we, we, we see a very clear picture of who we were uh, before your kindness and your love for us appeared. And Father, we're so thankful that uh, because you did that, um, by faith we can be regenerated and be born again. And as, as a result, we can be renewed by the Holy Spirit. And even the little things that happen throughout the day, we thank you that we can behold you, and uh, that we can abide above in who we are in Christ and grow in the grace and the knowledge of your dear Son. And it's your name we pray. Amen.